Welcome to The Village. I'm Gillian Dagon of Food Improved Consulting Group, and in this podcast, we showcase career advice and lessons learned from professionals in a variety of fields. Today, we are joined by Tini Rahali. Tini is a human resources professional and a friend of mine best known for her stunning red hair, her strength of conviction, and her wit and wordplay. Welcome, Tini. Thank you. So I wanted to start out today's episode talking about um, a recent trend that I read about in the popular press. So there's an article done by the BBC about a trend called hashtag quit talk. So I, I feel like it's interesting, you know, we've seen quiet quitting, we've seen now quiet hiring where you're just dumping on your current employees, more and more responsibilities. I feel like we're, we're seeing all these very interesting things coming out of the pandemic when we all had the you know, time and the wherewithal to really evaluate kind of what we wanted out of our professional lives. So this new trend um, is people recording their quitting stories and sharing them on social media. Um, This could be anything from workers, you know, hitting send on a resignation email. It could be the recording of them on a Zoom call live explaining why they're leaving their position. Um, But this is really kind of focused around Gen Z workers. Um, and it's really, it's interesting because it's filling a therapeutic gap. You know, these, these are mostly early career folks. Um, some of them have never even stepped into an office and, you know, they've shared all of the milestones, big and small in their lives on social media. And why not share something as pivotal as a job change? You know, I I personally would say a job change is up there with moving, you know, relocating to a new city. Like that's, it's, it's a new challenging adventure that I always feel like comes with positive feelings and maybe, you know, maybe concerns and a little bit of anxiety as well. So, um, so Teeny, could you, could you quit talk? Would you quit talk? Oof. Maybe. <laughs> I say that with a high-pitched voice. I think there is definitely a generational shift and it's like millennials are our generation and is the transition. I think Gen Z is very cool and very modern in doing this and making a statement, but our parents would never have considered it. And our parents were also the generation to get into a job stay there a long time, do a great job, collect a pension or retirement and go. And then kind of our generation is like, get a job, maybe stay there five years, maybe seven, you know, and then take it to the next step. And it's all about growth. And I think now they're like, yeah, one to two years, I have to go. I have to grow. And I think it's also interesting, like, maybe this is just me, maybe this is our generation, but like, quitting or layoffs or getting fired no matter which way it was it always kind of had like a shame to it like I remember like quitting like some of my jobs and just being like hey I just want to let you know that like I'm going and it was like this gloom you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. shame in a weird way even though it was the next step in the career it's whatever but I just like this guilt or something like oh my god I have to go so could I record it now like Maybe just for myself, though, to maybe feel vengeful later. <laughs> I can I can appreciate that. Like I was thinking, OK, would I do that? Because I don't share as much as some people on social media. And I still really enjoy social media. For me, could I quit talk? I definitely think 
I could record it. But because I don't share absolutely everything on social media, it would have to be, it would have to be something where I wanted the ultimate revenge or just to expose like really the type of person I've been working for. And I don't, I, I don't, that's still not me. It might, it would be to show to like close friends and laugh. Well, so you brought up a good point though. Um, you know, the point of the shame of, yeah, I'm leaving my job. It's, I feel like it's, it's a good point because few and far between do we really get to celebrate somebody saying, Hey, I found this new opportunity. It's so good that I have to go take it. You know, it's not because there are deficits here in my current role, but this, this thing is so shiny, so new, ticks so many boxes that I'm so excited. I get to share with you guys that we're no longer going to work together. (laughs) That is not something people say that often. Um, And, and I think it's, it's important to talk about why. Yeah. And I do think I have come across a lot of very positive people, you know, when sharing the quitting and, and the negative. So I had both. So once, for example, an executive director was always very supportive of others. And when it came to me there, you know, she always said, if you're just not comfortable in this role and you just don't think it's for you and you're ready to move on, I will actually help you find your next step. Always supportive and saying things like, no one should stay at one job just because they think they should. Be honest with me rather than it get to a negative or whichever and heck, I'll even help you get there. You know, or like my current friends, you know, or whichever, or current coworkers, there is like a guilt. Like I'm quitting and you want to celebrate and your friends celebrate, but if they're your coworkers, they know that they're getting the quiet hiring. I guess they're getting all of the workload, (laughs) right? They're getting all of the workload transferred to them. And I think that's where the guilt comes. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, if you feel like you're in an important position and you have a big thing and you're going on to the next step, whether it's from negative feelings or positive feelings, there is always still that negative, like, well, whatever I was taking on has to go to someone and I love these people so much and it's really unfair because the organization, instead of backfilling, is going to just send it on to the next person. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so many, so many highs and so many lows. Um, overall, I think, I think it's something that should be talked about more and really the process of I'm in, I'm looking at a job or I'm in a current position. How happy am I? How happy should I expect to be? Because, you know, it's, it's not all rainbows and puppy dog tails every day and that's, and that's okay. So, you know, how do you evaluate where you are, how you feel about your current situation? You know, is the grass greener? How do you look at new opportunities? And then really, even if you have a solid beat on the way you feel about where you are, the the other opportunities that are out there that you could avail yourself of, is it worth making the transition? So I I feel like these are important things to talk about. Um, So Tini, I'm excited to hear, you know, about your journey um, and kind of how you've handled those things over time. Um, So Tini is an employee benefits consultant 
that plans and manages clients' total rewards programs. What does that mean? What do you do? Sure. So lovely corporations who hire people. Um, part of the compensation package is often what is now called total rewards. You're paid about base salary. Sure. But it also matters how much PTO you have. What kind of paid time off is that? Is it discretionary? Is it unlimited? Is it for? Is there a separate one for parental? Uh, retirement, of course, 401ks versus pensions versus 403bs. And then health insurance. Is it medical dental vision? Medical dental vision pet? Life insurance disability? That's what a total rewards program is. So I'm a consultant who works in the middle and making sure that they're valuable programs that they're going to, you know, retain the talent and the kind of people that they want, that they match their benchmark to their, you know, competitor bank to bank or retail to retail or hospital to hospital. Um, and also it's expensive. So how the employer and the employee are going to pay for it. Tell us about your road. How, how did we get here? Sure. So I actually went to college. Uh, I went to the University of North Florida for public relations. And, you know, in my if you had asked me my dream career, you know, senior year of PR, I would have said, I want to work for a nonprofit and be the PR person who like hosts the campaigns and hosts the fundraising events. And I'm going to save the world. And that did not occur. But while I was in college, I worked for public supermarkets. A fantastic company with fantastic total rewards but as any college high school student does that's often like you know a, a common part-time job while you're still in college and I had a great store manager who um, offered me in the middle of my college offered me the in-store HR position so I was the in-store human resources rep I did everything from just like filling in time cards to submitting the stores payroll up into the main a lot of training in employee relations and things like that, especially at a company like Publix, it's really important. That's their value. It's where shopping is a pleasure and we're working as a pleasure. So they right, like to hire the right people and make sure everyone shares the same Publix values and just sort of those kinds of HR things, explaining the benefits, explaining the stock plan, explaining the retirement. So when it came to applying for jobs out of college, it was in 2009, uh, the housing market had crashed the year before. So I was out there in the world and being like, well, what do I apply for? And I was actually at a public relations networking event trying to get my name out there and shake the hands and find PR jobs. When I met someone in marketing for a law firm who was like, we're looking for an HR coordinator. And I was like, I will interview tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> Now you said, you, okay, so it sounds like you were excited about that opportunity. Were you thinking that law would be an interesting group of people to work with? Or was it more like you were just excited because it was a new and different job? It was a new and different job. I mean, I was in part-time retail, you know, varying schedules. I would work 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. or, you know, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., I could wear dresses to work instead of a uniform. Like, it really was the small thing. All right, so so let's recap. So it's 2009. The economy is not necessarily booming. Um, exiting undergrad, looking for the first opportunity, and you find the law firm. Was it everything that you thought it was going to be? Yes and no. 
feeling the pressure out of college and, and uh, you know, that economy, I think every college student, obviously you want to leave college. You just spent four years for four years and beyond, even in high school, people are saying, pick your career, be the architect, the astronaut, the doctor, whatever, go forth and do it. And how does a 16 year old do that? But so in regards to checking that box, yes, I got a full-time job. Yes, I've done the next step. It was that. And I learned so much. So it was everything I wanted and more because I felt like a big kid, to say the least. <laughs> uh, you know, riding an elevator, being in this corporate building, having the nine to five, doing all this stuff that I never expected um, or had any exposure to. It, you know, it was also, of course, my first job where eventually... I learned my nose. I learned the bads. I, I dealt, I think, with a lot more than I would in this common day because I just was just so happy to have a job. As a college grad, when other people, adults who have so many years of experience, had no jobs, were getting laid off or having to take something lower, I definitely took something, you know, and I, I thought about that often. Okay, so I think that's an important thing to, to talk about is like the value of a job isn't just the job itself or it isn't just the paycheck or it isn't just how comfortable you are with your coworkers. It's also about what's the alternative. The alternative could be not having a job because the economy is tough. The alternative could be going into a new position, which is unknown. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's the evil, you know, is <laughs> yeah. almost easier to deal with. Um, so, so tell me what, what was it like? What made you start looking elsewhere? Law firms on their own are kind of like their own unique sort of pressure cooker. I once actually had, we were changing systems of some IT sort at the law firm and the product trainer who was coming in and training all of us how to use it mentioned her own joke that she has worked for law firms for years and every year that you're in a law firm is like four years in every other job okay <laughs> so the pressure cooker to be the best at everything you know what it was just too much so I was the HR manager eventually and I had to be the best at recruiting and employee relations and payroll compensation and benefits and the corporate wellness and anything else in between that the attorneys wanted me to be. And it was also very frustrating because you as the HR person put together this lovely plan and then the shareholder attorneys look at it and say, I know more than you, this is not going to go and then it's all out the window. So with that pressure cooker of everything, it just became a lot, very stressful. And I decided I cannot be successful as an expert in 10 things I'm going to go forth and find a job in which I could be successful in like four things. The consultant for the law firm was just you know, office building literally right across the river. I started talking to them and applying for jobs with them because I'm like, well, you help me with my total rewards programs. I sit at the table with you and you have all sorts of insights onto benefits and corporate wellness and this sort of a thing. So that's what I'm good at. How about I apply for a job over there? So that was my first 
job jump besides the college part-time to full-time. That was my first choice in job jumping. Did you feel like at that point you, you could be pickier? Did you feel like you could demand more? Or do you feel like you just kind of, you were just again excited about a new position? In that particular place, I didn't feel like I could be picky. It was a desperation, which may sound dramatic, but I needed to get out of that law firm position. It was just emotionally breaking me. And I really wanted the opportunity. So actually, I remember that the recruiter told me the salary and it wasn't a large jump in salary. And that I kind of regret. But, you know, they did offer a lot of schedule flexibility. This is way pre-COVID, but telecommuting was just now coming into the corporate world where an organization would allow you a couple of days a week to work from home as long as you hit certain metrics. That was a perk that I really wanted. I really wanted an opportunity to start working from home occasionally. I really wanted a better work-life balance emotionally, and I really wanted a change. So I actually didn't get a, a pretty big salary increase. And I kind of regret that looking back now, but I felt at the time still the underdog and I just had to take it. When you looked at that new position and, and, and you know, obviously you're comparing it head to head with where you were at at the time. Was there any regret or any, was there at any moment this, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I shouldn't make the change. Not really. My first week, my new manager did not do a good job of like folding me in. That particular week that I got hired, the recruiter, the corporate HR, all of those people gave me all of the great orientations, the tours, the here's the thing. And then they sat me down at my desk and they're like, your manager will come and start giving you things. And I am not exaggerating when I said I sat there for five days taking pickings of projects because my own manager at the time was way too busy to even consider me. She would constantly come by my space and be like, I am just too busy to consider you right now. So that kind of made me feel like, did I make the right decision? Cause I left a job where I had too much in my inbox to sitting in a dead quiet office space, sea of cubicles, nothing to do, no one needing me. And like, what did I do? And homesickness. It felt like homesickness this is the best way I can describe it. Like in each job I've ever had, I really love the people I work with. So I would go to lunch with the people from the law firm and they're like, how's it going at your new job? And I would just feel sad and homesick. Like I want to be back in that cozy place, but I didn't. So that that was, that was kind of weird. That was a, a transition period where I really did think, did I do the right thing? I think you bring up, you know, another good point of how emotionally tied most of us are to the workplace or our comrades at the workplace, you know, whether it's our, you know, direct team or it's people maybe that we sit closest to in the office that are in a different department, but it's just, it's who you share your space with, right? It's who you share a ridiculous amount of time with. 
um, that you're not related to or married to or live with, but yet 40 hours of your week are spent with these people. And those relationships mean, I feel like they mean a lot. Talk to me about how you handled the issue with your boss. Was it something where you finally just kind of had to go and say, I like, bring me in, get me involved in something. What's, what's going on here? Cause I feel like that's, it's, it's, that's hard to do when you're the new girl, you know, young twenties, like second job. I wasn't, I was still fairly passive, just waiting for some boss, some leader. I'm the new girl. I'm, I'm kind of the plebeian. Is someone supposed to give me something or rather than being like, hi, you're not doing a good job and I should be busier. <laughs> right. But it was, I was constantly trying to put meetings on her calendar and I finally had to say like, I've got nothing here. You know, you're so busy. I have skills I can do. And looking back now, I mean, I, I perhaps she thought I knew nothing and she couldn't delegate to me because she thought I would never understand it. But I was like, well, I do come with human resources experience. And even outside of that, pretty good at Excel. I'm pretty good at a PowerPoint. You know, what? I don't know necessarily what you're doing. You're negotiating insurance plans. You're evaluating self-funded versus fully insured. You're doing all of these things. But like, I can do something. And I am your direct report. And eventually I'm going to have to learn it. So if you would just maybe want to like loop me into that meeting and I can sit in a corner and wave to everyone, that would be great. It's better than sitting in the silent cubicle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, it, I mean, it's hard to find that voice. Do you think you had realistic expectations? Like were your expectations met? The first few years, yeah, absolutely. I mean, once, once I got into the swing of things, <clears throat> I was learning a lot. And, you know, in, in the broker consultant world, you know, you have your internal, but you also have external. So you're literally the middleman between the clients that you have and the carriers and vendors that provide it. The Blue Cross Blue Shield, the United, the MetLife's, the whatever. And so in that, I was meeting a lot of people. And it really was also me starting to ask and be like, look, I'm sorry. Like, can you back up for two seconds? I don't know that sentence you just said. I don't know whichever. And I also realized like how wonderful people can be. And they'll be like, yes, let me, let me tell you. Let me explain to you what a stop loss policy is. And still some of those insurance carriers I, I work with today. And I still, you know, give them, give them feedback on that. So that was all great. Um, and it was, it was flowing, you know, really, really well for years. I was making friends at the office again, you know, you spend 40 hours in person with them. I think <laughs> probably today it would be different. There's probably a different attachment style, but the, you know, you're celebrating the birthdays, the things you're doing, the cupcakes on the Friday, like, you know, you're, <laughs> you're getting, um, getting really close to them and, and, then, you know, it was flowing well. And then there was, of course, a new position opportunity. I was in that role for about two, two and a half years before there was a new opportunity within the company. And I will say, like, when I was in the first role, I was starting to evaluate whether this was a fit. But the new position, I think, gave a good refresh into it feels like a new dress, even though it's the same company. This time, when this new opportunity comes up, you know, at the same company, but granted a new opportunity, when you looked at that, were your evaluation metrics different than when you were at the law firm and you were like, I got to get the hell out of here? What were you looking for? I liked that it had 
a lot more independence and freedom. In the broker consultant world, there's often a whole team of people who specialize in, in what you need to do. So there's like your main kind of account manager, account executives, and then you have people who specialize in benefits technology or, you know, wellness or whatever. And sometimes it felt like there were too many cooks in the kitchen, just being in general account management. I didn't have as much freedom. I was at the mercy of whatever the person at the top said, and I had to do it. So taking this new role gave me independence and a little bit of my own self-management. I got to choose the schedule and the tasks. I got to learn new things. I was also out with the sales team with prospects which was something I've never tried before, rather than just managing the day-to-day and process repeat, process repeat. So it, I started to evaluate <clears throat> not only like internal personalities and how my relationship was with my boss, because again, it was, it was getting worse. It wasn't necessarily getting better. This gave me a lot of independence and fulfillment without kind of directly reporting to or getting that direct feedback from the boss. I still repeat, I still reported to her, but she didn't have any like micromanagement kind of say into what I did in a day to day because she didn't know. And, you know, it was also from that even growing in that position that I think gave me the next perspective to the next career hop altogether. So, so for that one, you just mentioned the word technology. So Graduated, you graduated UNF with a public relations degree, been, you know, was already work, you were already working in HR, continued in HR, now kind of refining your skill set down to benefits, technology, like how were you nervous about learning a new skill? Did this dovetail in just seamlessly? Um, You know, I'm always, I'm always interested when people take positions or take on challenges that, you know, in in their careers that you can't really see on paper that anything necessarily prepared them for. Yeah, it's, that's true. I didn't, there was no specific college course back in the day that said, this is how you do it. Right. (laughs) Um, but the first, the product came someone within the, the head of the division said, we should start offering this benefits technology product to our clients. We should learn it, know it, talk about it at prospecting, implement it. And not only was I, I just happened to have a knack for the technology and the speed compared to others personality wise, but I think my HR experience helped to cross that line with the prospects or whichever, because I used to be human resources. I did transform my old HR department from completely paper to paperless. I understand the struggles of the HR manager who has to feel like they have to collect 100 benefit enrollment forms and get them submitted somehow. I get it. No one wants to collect enrollment forms anymore. Here's a whole thing that you can put in that can collect your orientation paperwork, your your online enrollments. You get an Excel file for payroll deductions. You can submit it to us for carrier changes. Like it does 10 things. And and by the way, I build it all for you. So I love that because you know you you mentioned um, you mentioned in in moving to this company, <clears throat> you found out about it from 
you know, a professional connection that was across the river that you were already dealing with in your current role. And now in this career change, you're going, well, I, I've been in that trench. I am the person on the other side of the desk. Um, and I think, I think that I think those type of career connections and kind of translations happen all the time. And I feel like it's, you know, you come out of school and people are like, build your network, you know, get to know people, use LinkedIn. But I think it's a secondary step that nobody really talks about to say, sit yourself down and think about what skills you have that are completely transferable to a new role or to any role. And then where have I been? What, what seat have I been in? How have other people helped me? Could I be that helper myself? I feel like it's important. It's an important skill to be able to say what adjacent people have I worked with? What adjacent positions have they held? That could be my next position. So, so you move into the technology role. Mm -hmm. um, what was the biggest challenge you feel like? This role was made, this product was introduced. No one who above me who put this in thought about what's next. So suddenly here I am, we're rolling out this product to all of these new clients. It's going so well. I'm going to prospect meetings. We're winning them as prospects. It's going so well. Suddenly I have 70 clients. <laughs> I am building, managing, reporting, ACA, like doing all of these compliance things, which I won't bore you with the detail for 70. And there was no, it was all reactive. I'm dying leadership organization. When am I going to get a second person, an assistant? And that kind of fight, I think, showed me the true colors of that particular organization. They were paralysis by analysis. They were not ready to move forward. They were very cost conscious. So it really was you've got to keep doing this. You've got to keep doing this great, but it's going to be a while before you get promoted and get the team. You still have to be there. And again, I mean, I don't know how else to say it just showed the true colors of all the organization. I took it up to my boss. Then I took it up to her boss who then did her best to take it up to their boss. And it was just nose across the board and burnout is now a term that I know that it was, but I didn't then. So I used my, network because by now in the broker world i have networks with other brokers carriers you know carrier contacts again the metlife's the blue cross that's what an insurance carrier is and it was an insurance carrier who connected me with my second job and was you know heard me saw me we were close and said you know this is another similar organization it's a competitor of yours now but their culture is better you know, I don't know what they'll pay you. I'm not in that, but their culture is better. I work with them. Their team is great. Their employees have been there for years. I think it's worth an introduction. And so it was definitely using that network and, and, and seeing again, how my leadership was never going to support me and feeling that burnout new term um, that took me to my role after that. And it was that change that I started to feel the power in my career choice. Like I had something to bring to the table. I could ask for more. That organization needed me more than I needed them. 
you know, we went back and forth on salary a lot more and flexibility. This particular office was a lot further. So it would have been a long commute. So I was like, you have to pay me even more now because I'm going to drive significantly further to get to you. And they answered to all of it. Yes, absolutely. We have a need for someone to be closer to where you live rather than where we are. We have a need for this. We support this flexibility. And so, well, of course I did get more money and things like that. I mean, that job change was not only my power, but I learned the importance of culture and total rewards. <laughs> I took that job because the people I interviewed with, I immediately connected with. I got it. it the head of the organization interviewed me in board shorts and a t-shirt and was just fun. We met, I'm not making this up, in a Target at the little concession area. Oh, wow. <laughs> the head of operations chose a Starbucks, like a typical, you know, there's going to be meetings. How about you guys meet at this joint Starbucks, sit down and chat. And the head of the organization just has that very, um, I hate to say it like squirrel like personality that just like quick, no, I want to make a change and called me and said, I really want a blue icy. Can we meet at the target next door and we'll just <laughs> grab a table and chat. And we did. I mean, talk about being your authentic self. If, if the man needed a blue icy, the man needed a blue icy. I love him for that. That's <laughs> awesome. I'm excited by all of this because you said you found your power. And I hate, I hate that a lot, I think, and I think it happens in the majority of people, a lot of people find that power after you've hit rock bottom, right? The burnout. And is and as tough as that is for, I'm gonna say all of us, I feel like everybody goes through that at one time or or another in their entire career. I feel like what comes out of it is deciding what's important to you. And it sounds like when you went and you went to evaluate and look at this new company, you knew what you wanted to ask for because it was something that you had been jonesing for. That's half the battle for, for any of us to say, okay, I, I know what I would change about my current situation. How do I make sure I build that into my next adventure? And if I can't have all 10 things that I want, what are the concessions going to be for the things that, that just can't come to fruition at this time? How often would you tell your 25-year-old self to check in? Check in on, you know, all, how many of your boxes are checked at this point? Are you, how, how are you feeling about your role? Like, what, what's your hindsight on that? I think if I could talk to my 25-year-old self, Probably two main points. First of all, kind of a question, is it worth it? There was a lot of things I did and accepted and, you know, handled because I thought I should or had to. But at the end of the day, was accepting all of that worth it to my mental health, to my burnout, to my time, to my energy? And I think the other one is probably open your mind. It isn't as strict as we think. There's a stat out there. I'm probably going to butcher it. It's something like 
men apply for a lot more positions that they know they have a lot less qualifications for than women. Women feel like they have to check every box. So when you are looking for the next role, you need every bullet on that job description. You need to feel confident about it. You need to feel confident about every single thing. And men look at it for three seconds and they're like, I can probably do 25% of that. Let's go for it. Yes. I, I've heard 65%. If they can, yeah. if they can feel decent, not even strong, decent, about 65%, they're like, this is for me. <laughs> exactly. Where women are constantly saying, you know, this role sounds great, but I don't know that one bullet. I've never experienced that one bullet. What am I going to do? Open your mind. Every new hire, everything has to go through a transition period. It, you know, when I very recently looked at job postings, I was like, I'm going, I'm hitting that 65%. I'm doing it. I'm hitting the 65%. And I think you also have to say, let me just take a moment and think about who wrote this job description. It's probably not the actual person you report to. Absolutely. Just this year, <laughs> I was sent a job description that looks like it was put together through random sentences from the internet. It had different fonts. It had different things. There is probably some very nice, well-intentioned HR assistant or HR coordinator who's putting that together for the recruiter who might not even know. Right. Yeah. And you just have to look at it and you bless their heart. Right. They, they did what they thought they were supposed to be doing. But the real question is, what do I have in my arsenal, in my history of all the projects and implementations and people and plans that I've managed? Do I have skills that could benefit this organization? And if the answer is yes, go for it. And I would tell my 25-year-old self and everyone, how many times has your employer or anyone, even yourself, gone back to that job description after you're in the job and checked it? No one does. No one does. It's there. You're meeting people. It's all about a personality match. No one later goes back three months into your job, pulls out the job description and says you're doing things outside of your job or you're not fulfilling this. It never happens. I've never seen it. Apply for more things. Open your mind. No, you have a checklist, but no one is thinking that checklist about you. Any other lesson? I always like to ask people, are there lessons that you've learned professionally, that cross the boundary into your personal life? Are there things that you've gone through in your personal life that have taught you, you know, hacks or skills or ways of coping for your professional life? Like what would be your one nugget that you feel like you've translated from one world to the other? Boundaries oh. is a big one. Okay. You know, in your personal life and your relationships through therapy or whichever, you're often learning about boundaries. There are professional boundaries. I know today what kinds of managers I will never work for and what things from those managers I won't accept. I now know from me being in a climate client servicing point of view, what kinds of clients I will never work for again. There are people out there in the world that I have worked for from the client broker relationship that I will never work for again you know, setting those boundaries, what kinds of asks or limits from a task point of view you would. And that of course blends into your personal too. I mean, anyone who's ever gone to therapy, it's one of the early things you learn. Boundaries in your personal relationships, romantic, familial, whatever it might be. And 
validating emotions, feeling feels, allowing your team to feel feels, things like that. As, as now a manager and people reporting to me, you know, I'm the one receiving the, I'm so stressed out today. I had this bad uh, phone call. I don't know what to do. Did I do something terribly wrong? That all of that panic, I'm hearing it as a manager. And I might not have the answers to everything. Sometimes in work and in life, you don't have the answers. But the best thing you can say to that person is, your feelings are valid. You're allowed to feel stressed out. I don't want to quell them and I don't want to, to, to diminish them. I don't have the answers to this right now, but I'm here for you to work together to figure it out. And again, blending into the personal life. I learned a lot of that through therapy or whichever. And now it's something I seek from my managers and something that I really try to make sure that I seek from the people who report to me.